everybody episode 118 the saber die podcast where it's the end of 2015 <laughs> you're a mean mean man that was a few days ago sir <laughs> yeah days and days so anyway i'm dm mike and with me is the woman who knows how to start a year off right with a proper tea dm liz <laughs> hello and the man who starts a new year off right with a character funnel, DM Jim. This is DM Jim, and I got 99 problems, but a lich ain't one. <laughs> and I know it's only been two episodes since the last email bag, but we're going to do our best to shotgun all the 2015 emails this episode. Except for Val Traveler's reply to the Blue Home episode, but so buckle your sphincters. Yeah, <laughs> it's gonna be a bumpy ride. I apologize in advance because we've had to go to the standard of a lot of podcasts and just take pertinent bits out rather than reading the whole email. I'm sorry. I'm a humble cur, but unless we want to just accept that we're gonna be six months behind in emails from now until Doomsday, it had to be done. It's good enough for Stan Lee in the '60s. I hope it's good enough for Stan Lee. (laughs) Yeah, Excelsior. But before we start, do we have any announcements? Does it have to be gaming-related announcements? We can go in it, I suppose. (laughs) (laughs) Well, anyway. I'm glad. (laughs) I I suppose it is sort of kind of podcasty related. I'm going to be taking some voice acting lessons starting in February. Um, they'll be going on for six weeks, and hopefully by the end of that six-week period, I will have a smoother and even better vocal performance <laughs> than I do now. <laughs> Just make us sound worse, Jim. <laughs> it wouldn't be hard. So I'm hoping that will improve my the way I come across on the podcast and... One of the things I know I really have a problem with is, you know, long pauses between what I say, you know, basically not having my thoughts together before I start, you know, saying something. And 
I'm hoping that I will be able to learn some things and just have a more polished presentation to myself in the future. So wish me luck, everybody. <laughs> cool. How about you, Jim? Well, uh, I will use the platform to just encourage everyone to register for GaryCon, which is coming up now in just less than 90 days. Um, if you haven't gotten a badge, now's the time to get one. And if you were disappointed, Let's see, how can I do this and not get in trouble? If you wanted a gold or platinum or silver badge and were disappointed how quickly those sold out, stay tuned. Mm. Sounds like there might be some available. You can neither confirm nor deny. No, I didn't say that. (laughs) Don't fire me, Luke. (laughs) <laughs> we'll keep our fingers crossed for people trying to get something cool. Other people, because unfortunately we're not going to make Gary Con this year. No. But we're going to make it next year, darn it. Knock on wood. <laughs> yeah. uh, I don't suppose I have many announcements either. We've been pretty just locked up for December doing holiday stuff, grading papers for the semester, et cetera, et cetera. Um. One gift I kind of got myself for Christmas is uh, a copy of The Truth About Dungeons and Dragons. The Truth? Yeah. As opposed to all of the lies that yeah. we have heard elsewhere. It was written Check by Traps. Check for Traps. Listen yeah. to the door. That kind of truth? <laughs> <laughs> no, more like the evil Satanism behind the Dungeon Master's Guide and Ooh. how it encourages us, the Monster Manual encourages us to worship demons and devils. All that fun stuff. And I totally missed that. I t- me too. I must have just been skimming the books because that just went right over my head. Yeah. <laughs> I want to read that book too because apparently I'm doing it wrong for the last 38 years. <laughs> oh, I'll send you an e-copy. It's, it's only like 80 pages. A little di- and funny, it's digest size, so you can slip it into your box. Oh, you can <laughs> original box brown books. <laughs> <laughs> Conveniently located. So yeah, uh, not something for you to read if you're taking this seriously, but it's it's all part of that whole satanic panic from the 80s. And as some of my historical research involves what amounts to literature propaganda. Um, I find this sort of stuff hilarious, but, you know. All right, well, uh, unless we want to chat about anything else, we can go to a break and then get to the emails. Are you enjoying the show you're listening to right now? Want to help support the show? Why not head over to the Patreon site, patreon.com slash WGP. That's patreon.com slash WGP. And help support the network for as little as $1.50 a month. That's right, $1.50 a month goes a long way. Thank you. Thopus the Gnome here. The Save or Die podcast is brought to you in part by a more than generous grant from me. <clears throat> Don't you mean a generous grant by Lesser Gnome Games? Same thing. I pretty much run the joint. And this one too now, come to think of it. Here. Go finish the commercial for me, Nave. You got it. Lesser Gnome Games and Miniatures. Available at RPGnow.com, LesserGnome.com, or at a friendly local game store near you. The Save or Die Email Hot Tub Time Machine. 
Come here, you scrumptious little beauty. Here I go once again with the email. Every week I hope that it's from a female. Oh man! Emails and no voicemails this time, just a lot of emails. It was 28 and a half pages worth of emails that I managed to chop down to six, six and a half. So. Although it helped, although it helped that like six of them were for save for half. So I dropped them into the save for half folder and we'll discuss those on the show. So you're always like, Jim, you do all the editing. I know that's a lot of work, but when it's an email episode and Liz has to read 28 emails, I'm like, ha-ha. <laughs> <laughs> Not my job. Good point. Uh-huh. <laughs> Liz gets her revenge because she makes me do all the editing and such. Well, I didn't make you. <laughs> yeah, you did. You made me. I okay, you made the tea, and then I felt really guilty. So. <laughs> I was going to say, I seem to recall that it was your idea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> anyway. Anyway, let the carnage begin. <laughs> Okie dokie. Well, we will start off. One of the things that Mike did when he was editing was if there were several emails from individuals, we grouped them all together so that we could, you know, basically do, you know, person by person rather than jumping around. So, so sent a lot, Fred. <laughs> all collected into the Fred section. <laughs> but we will be starting with DM Mothshade. Mothshade! Mothshade! Mm. So he sent us several, and basically this boils down to um, he's doing an OD&D compilation and has hit a snag on the bard from the SR. Um The problem is followers, and he provides data from SR number six. Strategic review? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Um, A bard of the DOS College. And does anyone have any insights or suggestions or omissions? (laughs) Um, I remember I sent us that email of his, all of us privately, this was a few months ago, saying that we might want to think about this, and I must reluctantly confess that I have not thought about it since I did that. Yeah, what I was able to see, I kind of concur with him that it must have just been an omission of data, and that happened a lot as to what it quote-unquote should be. That's a weird subject because a lot of the decisions, you know, Gary, Frank, Tim, all of them freely admit they did stuff just because, well, the number looked good. You know, there wasn't necessarily any method to the madness. No formula that they... Yeah, so, you know, my opinion is go with what sounds good. Besides, most characters should be dead before they get to those that many followers anyway. (laughs) Hmm. (laughs) Anything to add, Jim? Mike's suggestion is kill the characters before they get to that point. That's the takeaway here. Exactly. Then there's no trouble. I mean... These are the kind of emails I'm all but worthless at because my answer to everything is just make it up yourself because that's what I do. Yeah. God knows that's what they did. So, sorry, wish we could be more erudite, but I I don't really know much Celtic mythos anyway or the the whole idea of the bards. All I know is that 
in uh, original D&D, they seemed pretty cool. In first edition, they were nightmarish. And in second edition onward, they were lame. I, I can give him some direction in terms of inspiration to draw from to make it up himself because I'm real fresh on Manly Wade Wellman. I just read some of that for an interview I did with Michael Curtis a while back, and that's the Appendix N source of the Bard for Gary. And that read the short story collection of that, which I think Pazio or Paizo uh, publishes, is real quick read, and that'll give you all the Bard inspiration you need. How how to conquer the Appalachian wilderness with just a banjo on your back? Mm-hmm. There you go. Well, most of my bard ideas or inspiration, I must confess, came from Lloyd Alexander's, and technically they were children slash young adult books, but the one bard wannabe in there, and I'm probably mangling his his Welsh name horribly, um, Fluter Flam, (laughs) um, who had the instrument, and it was clearly one of the powerful bardic relics that they talk about in first edition, etc. Um, and the harp would never play for him correctly. Um, he was he would always try to play it and it would never do quite what he wanted it to. Again, like many artifacts. Yeah. Originally um, and, you know, sometimes it would seem to actively work against him and other times it would help him, but not in the way that he had been intending it to. Um, and then like at the artist. End, yeah, yeah, and at the at the end of the series, and a minor spoiler for anyone who hasn't read it and has any has any idea of wanting to, sorry, <laughs> but the harp gets burned in a fire and it plays as it's burning, and what's left at the end is like this golden harp string that has been twisted around itself and but it's one of the most beautiful songs that anyone has ever heard that the heart plays while the fire is burning it and that was always kind of interesting but anyway (laughs) (laughs) well hope that was helpful (laughs) anyway mothshade goes on um in another letter um, he wanted to chime in on Tiemann's basic impressions of episode 112 and the lethality in games um, says the tendency is three times onward for players to rely solely on character sheet entries rather than thinking outside the box. I'm sorry, All- that three times should be three E. Okay, so this is three X. <laughs> tendency in three E onward um, is for players to rely solely on character sheet entries rather than thinking outside the box. Also, the desire to run heroes from the very start. Preacher, brother. And... Um, Quote taken from the letter, you know, he says, We are no longer blazing new trails or covering new ground. Ruling on the fly or improvising in the thick of it seems to be old hat to many. Add up the modifiers and roll the die. Challenges must be suited to the levels and resources of the PCs. Running away is not even an option. Always move forward, always advance. Is that a Briark? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Well, it does seem to be where a lot of the newer editions, you know, the mindset, mm-hmm. you know, if something is not, you know, the appropriate quote-unquote challenge level, then, you know, players get upset. That was too hard. Well, you yeah. should have run. <laughs> I know it's an old saw, but I really think that video games had a lot to do with that, especially the ones from the 80s and early 90s where 
before you could before the internet you really had to play a character usually just one sometimes you could have two or three but by definition your parties are smaller so everything had to be set on a level to where you could deal with situations otherwise people get tired of the game they keep getting killed and and then going back to the last save point and so on and so forth well, it's a playstyle preference, and we always talk about it in that context. But the proof in the pudding is the guys I have in my home campaign that are in their late 20s and early 30s, and they shift back and forth between Pathfinder and Call of Cthulhu and DCC. And they have it. I mean, when I first started running a game, it took them a couple, you know, TPKs to learn when to run, but then they picked it up and they're great at it. And it, you know, a properly run TPK is the most fun you can have at a table as a player. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that's one thing where the zero-level character funnels that DCC does is very helpful. You know, one, if you're used to playing in games where you don't die, it kind of helps to get you into that mindset that you could very well die. And with a zero-level character, you haven't had an opportunity to get attached before that character dies. So it's a, really, it's a learning opportunity, but it's not going to hurt you psychologically that much. It's really, really hard to communicate to people with running them through one, because when you run one, run somebody through one, the, the, the action of playing through it, you get it. You get it that, okay, I started out with these four zeros, but this guy made it through leveled, got his class powers, so you've created his whole backstory. He was a baker who went into the dungeon with a rolling pin and came out with a plus one sword and got his first hit die of real hit points, and then you do feel like a hero. You're like, woo! And you created your own backstory. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with, you know, people wanting to play heroes right out the gate. That's personally not my style, but... You know, if you want to do that, just start them at third, fourth, fifth level. I mean, you know, it, it's, it like you said, it's a matter of play style. Um, uh, you know, I just talked to James Edward Raggy and uh, the fourth. I better put the fourth on there. We'll get an email. Um, <laughs> and so maybe I'm contaminated by having talked so long with him. But, you know, PCs are really not, I mean, much more the sociopath, you know, murder hobo than a hero. <laughs> that's kind of the reality of it. Oh, it, it depends on your set. I mean, for instance, obviously, Bilbo and Frodo are heroes, but Fofford and the Grey Mauser? Not so much. <laughs> Elric? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, no, but I think I think Moss Shades hit it hit it very the nail on the head there. Uh, and he wraps up, you know, saying that uncertainty among PCs breeds fear. Fear creates creativity to solve problems. And that's fun. Yeah. And that's the one thing tabletop RPGs have over computer RPGs. No matter how you slice it, if, you know, the, the programmer of the computer game hadn't thought of a particular option, you can't do it. But on a tabletop, you can try anything with a good DM. I mean, the most fun is running a game you can have is when it looks like it's going to be a TPK and one of the players pulls something out their butts, hits the die roll, and, you know, strong arms of a robot saw blade back into their chest and kills the thing. 
I love that stuff. That, that's or, fun for me, running yeah, or, the game. Or a variant of that, you know, when the players, you've set up a, a situation and the players think of some way out of it that you haven't. That's my favorite part. Right, right, exact same thing. That's like, awesome. Yeah, I was like, cool. I hadn't thought of that, but yeah, sure, that'll work, you know, or whatever. Kudos, Malshade. All right, our... Next section is for J.V. West, who sent us some letters over the past few months. J.V. J.V. Anyway, um, first one, he's um, responding to episode 111, the Save versus Redbox D&D episode. <laughs> um, says he really enjoyed the enthusiasm, and he appreciated Mikey Mason's honesty. One dragon was harsh, but it was his view. <laughs> exactly. Um, he believes this, this thing in my head where Mikey's like doing his regular stand-up gig down at Atlanta or somewhere, and it's going really great till one D and raises his hand and goes, "One dragon was too harsh, man." <laughs> Dude. <laughs> anyway, he also believes that there should be Alina on a T-shirt. 1983 to 1983. <laughs> Never forget. <laughs> He's saying that because she's a hottie, but anyway. <laughs> Says he agrees with Jim about the exclusion of gods being lame. And death to gnomes. Ha ha! Obviously for you, Mike. <laughs> Indeed. Not for you, Zach. <laughs> <laughs> um, regarding episode 112. Um, he says, great episode on gods, love legends and lore, and as a teen, drooled over the art. Also loved the Finnish mythos. He feels that gods should have stats, thus more flesh and blood, rather than avatars or abstractions. Crunchy and not philosophers gods. Set his view of campaign worlds, since gods tended to be around 20th level or so, he internalized the idea that first through 14th level are the heroic levels for mortals. Yeah, I can see that because, you know, most of the de- of the gods and deities and demigods, legends and lore were, if they were anything in a given class, it was between 15th and 20th level. So, yeah, once you figure the gods can do that, then, yeah, you would think the average mortal would be, you know, 1 to 14. Uh, well, I mean, it still bothers me that gods would have stats rather than being quote unquote avatars, etc., um, that cannot be killed. Um, I think in a certain type of campaign that would work, you know, if gods were not necessarily actually gods, but just very powerful beings that lesser individuals mistook for. Gods. <laughs> kind of like uh, in the Saberhagen Lost Sword series. I mean, yeah, it's not not my preferable system, but there, you know, there is a precedent in Appendix N literature for gods getting killed by he- great heroes. Well, right, but Elric had to go through seven books before he took out Arya. <laughs> Very true. But it is there. <laughs> it is possible. And yeah, I mean, and if you're going, I can't see any other reason to have super crunchy details on a god unless you're giving it, you know, it's going to be a plausible situation that sometime in the future a PC can kill them. 
Especially if they go to Gamma World first and get <laughs> Anyway. So that was JV wiping a tear away from his eye over one cute cleric. Oh, <laughs> ah, Alina, we knew you. We very hardly knew thee. All right. Our next individual is FD, otherwise known as Fred. Dun, dun, dun. Um, Make up, everyone. If I'm reading these show notes right, it's writing emails on very old episodes. Yeah, apparently he started from the beginning and is working his way up to now. <laughs> and, um, yeah, he, he wrote us some comments on what he felt about various old episodes as he goes through them. Which means we're going to have to try and remember them, Liz. <laughs> um, anyway, his first email was about um, adventure number 66 and refers to your comments about general anesthesia. And um, Yeah, that was when you were going in for your wisdom teeth. Oh, yeah, my wisdom teeth yeah. cut out. And I talked about, you know, I'd been under general anesthesia, and there's always, you know, medically, there's a very, very small percentage, but there is a chance that when you go under general, you may not wake up. Oh, I remember that episode. I was just a listener back then. <laughs> yeah. And he says, um, seven surgeries and saw them as system shock rolls. <laughs> Well, that's a way of looking at them. <laughs> Free drugs. Well, yeah, that, that helps the system shock considerably, I would think. <laughs> Give you some bonuses on the roll. So anyway. Anyway. Um, re-adventure number 67. Um, he talks about the movies that influenced the choice of his NPCs in his campaigns. There's always a monk named Cain. Complete with co- quotes of wisdom. There's a paladin named Bronson, who was basically the LG Charles Bronson. <laughs> Death Horan, wish movies for those. Um, Horan in the Forbidden City is Lo Pan from Big Trouble in Little China. <laughs> They're really beginning to piss me off. <laughs> uh, I love that movie. And by the way. Fred hates the con wrap-up episodes, compares them to a story about going to Walmart. (laughs) You know what? That's kind of fair. I mean, it is like an hour and a half long character story when we do those. But a lot of people like them. Well, I mean, the whole point of having a podcast is to be able to tell your character story, and there's nothing anybody can do about it, right? Well, except turn it off. Yeah, yeah, basically. (laughs) I can so, tell you about my characters in excruciating detail. Like, well, point taken. I don't think I'm going to stop, though. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just love being there so much that I have to gush about it after I get back from the con. So <laughs> I'm very sorry, and feel free to not download those in the future. You will not hurt my feelings. I promise. Uh, I appreciate your enthusiasm, but I think we need some free hotel rooms in exchange for these post-con <laughs> wrap-up episodes. You know what I'm saying? Huh? Hey, you have a point. You have a point. It's like we do this stuff, and we get no recompense from North Texas at well, all. They did invite. Uh, I'm a I'm a fan guest this year. You are right? a fan guest. Well, that's. But I really think all three of us should be. Well, I oh. think you're a fan guest this coming year. 
more or less because of Victorious and it coming out. You're mm-hmm. now a formal well, published game designer. Well, Jim's going to have Mutant Call Classics. <laughs> and he'll probably be the next year's con guest. For Could, be. Could be. Could be. You know, I don't care as much about a free hotel room as I do a Three Castles Award. That's what I'm shooting for. <laughs> that would be that would be pretty sweet. Mm. So anyway. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> and let's see. His thoughts on episode 80. Does Mike not like preset settings? Um Compares it to a Chinese buffet with liking five dishes, meaning the 125 or so ruined the five for him. <laughs> yeah, I, I, no, I do not like preset settings, but I think your analogy is a bit off. It's more like the players are expecting to have 125 different dishes that they can choose from at will. And no matter what dish they choose, I, as the DM, have to be able to tell them exactly how it tastes, the texture, the temperature, etc. And I just don't have the time or, or desire to learn that much about a campaign setting, except my own. <laughs> with, with five, you get egg roll. <laughs> So and it's I'm more like a friend who thinks he speaks Mandarin. <laughs> so it's more like player expectations yes. versus what you are wanting to actually take from the setting. Exactly. I mean, you know, people play if they play in Forgotten Realms, for example, or Mistara, odds are these people will have read the eight trillion novels and the supplements and everything. And if they love the campaign world, because people tend to either love them or, or not care, then every little thing you do wrong, they're going to bring up. And yes, it's your own campaign world. You can just hand wave it and say, I'm doing whatever. I, but it's just less, less worry if I just say, no, nah, no, nah, my own campaign world deal. Fair enough. Um, then he asks. cookie. <laughs> Then he asks, do you folks feel that the classes themselves cover enough bases to not really need any of the subclasses? Yeah, I think so. I mean, the, for the original D&D version of the Paladin, which is a fighter that just tries to be lawful and in return gets a couple of bennies, I think is perfect. I don't think it needs a whole separate class for it. It's almost the same thing we were talking about before earlier. I mean... Everybody wants to be special. That's where the stuff comes from, right? So we'll have a special subclass, or we'll have a, a, a you know the ability to eventually kill gods, or we'll start with tenth level characters. And I don't, you know, those those are settings. If if you like things turned up to eleven, that's great. But if it's at eleven all the time, it's not eleven anymore. Does that yeah. make sense? Oh yeah. Well, yeah. I think you just described the power I mean, tree. If everyone is special, no one is special. Yes. Yeah, and um, that's one of the things that you have to worry about doing graphic design, too. If you try to make everything special in your design, nothing winds up standing out. You know, you're, you're going to have to determine a hierarchy of importance. You can't have everything be equal importance. Otherwise, nothing, you know, gets paid attention to in the end. And it's really busy, right? Yeah. Um, so... Yes, all of your players are going to want to be special, and there's a way that they can be special, but still 
coming together as a whole to do the big special thing in the end. I mean, that's how I've always seen the real beauty of D&D or a lot of the role-playing games is teamwork as opposed to a whole group of people, each one wanting to be the big hero. But I want to be the best there is at what I do. And what I do best isn't very nice. Yes, and that's why we have a big industrial-sized can of Lysol. But that's <laughs> not here nor there. But I'm ching. <laughs> so, <laughs> anyway. You run a game however you want to run your game. Uh, the seven basic classes are plenty for me. Yeah. All righty. Um, FD also wishes us to, at some point, review the Challenger Black Box set from the 1990s. <laughs> and says that he loved hearing Janelle Jakeways on episode number 89. He assures me that I am not a token and I have valuable comments. Thank you, Fred. <laughs> and says, please don't change your name to Fred. Here, here. Well, well, we changed something in episode somewhere, episode format somewhere along the line because there were, I can remember there being a point where people were writing and saying you didn't get to talk enough. What did we change? I, um, I don't remember. I don't remember anymore. I think we we just, uh, as a group, tried to give Liz some breathing room to to actually talk or something. <laughs> Maybe it was when we went down to three hosts because, you know, that way there was more time for Liz to speak just because, you know, four people take up more time than three. Fair enough. Uh, well, it looks like I'm not going to be changing my name to Fred at this point. Um, Thank God. Well, it didn't work for Romana, so why should I have thought I'd be any different? <laughs> Two Doctor Who references. Yes. Uh, oh, where, where did the Doctor Who jar go? I, I used to have it right here. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah. <laughs> it's either Romana or Fred. All right, call me Fred. Okay, Romana. <laughs> oh, here it is. So... Yeah. <laughs> she didn't get to be called Fred. I guess I don't get to be Fred either. So I'll stick with Liz. But thank you for the vote of confidence. <laughs> and on the subject of rewarding experience points for role playing, um, he has his players do a secret vote for best role player. He also gives a thousand XP per session. Which wow. I guess would work if they're if you're doing high level stuff um, at say if you're starting with first level and so on I'd scale that back considerably but oh yeah um, thousand XP per session scaled higher at higher levels <laughs> well if you want to shoot up levels really quick that will work yeah I mean just doing classic stuff though say if everyone was starting out at first level I probably would only be giving maybe two or three hundred yeah. tops you know to start off with because you know depending on what character you're playing you, pro you might only need like 2,000 XP but to level up or even 1,500 perhaps. Yeah. 1,200 for a thief. Yeah, yeah. so but your mileage may vary. <laughs> I was just thinking about Angry Monk's game and if Doc Mindwipe's Thief had leveled ahead of my cleric I would have just had to kill him on the spot. <laughs> Oh. How much XP's was he worth? Yeah. Well, Do I level up now? <laughs> his email is coming up. Ah. 
still, what do you think about the secret vote thing? If you've got a bunch of, I, I don't know, if, if you really know your players and they know each other, yeah, that can work. But then odds are you probably don't even need the secret vote. It'll be obvious. I think the DM should arbitrarily. Because then it's, you know, it, bec- it becomes kind of a popularity contest otherwise. Mm-hmm. And, you know, then you run into, well, I thought, I, I think I've been role-playing pretty well, but I never win it. It's always Liz. That's because everybody likes Liz better than me. On the other hand, what if I win it and people say that you just gave it to me because I'm your wife? No, that is, again, that, I suppose that falls under the have to know your, know your players. But if you really want a truly objective way, you should just have everybody roll randomly for it. Cause, I mean, there's gonna be subjectivity, I guess, no matter what you do. Mm. I like doling those out myself on a as it happens basis, when somebody does something really spectacular. Yeah. I mean, DCC, it's a different XP scale, but yeah. Give yourself, you know, two luck, or give yourself two XP. Remind me at the end. Yeah. Or victorious, get a victory point. You know, it's it's right there so that everybody knows this is precisely the end. Because, yeah, by definition of doing the vote, only one person can win it. What if you had more than one good role player? So, anyway. Anyway. That's my, that's my opinion. Mm. Um, he asks you, Mike... What do you use to read PDFs? And also wants to give a shout-out to Game Master's store in Pittsburgh. Yeah, his friend who runs that store uh, is visually has visual issues, too, which is why he was asking this. Um, I use a program called Kurzweil 1000, version 12. And basically what it does is it allows you to use a scanner bed to scan in a document or open a PDF file and it converts it into word text and will read it to you or allow you to burn the voice of that program that it would have used to read to you but burn it as an MP3 so you can drop it to a pod or whatever and listen to it as you, you feel. And the voices aren't bad. I mean, robot is robot, but... They've got some fairly smooth voices now. It's not like the horrible days of Microsoft Mary. <laughs> well, what about the um, the free not the master control program in John? The, the, the free reader <laughs> that comes with um, a Adobe <laughs> reader. Oh yes, that way voice sounds like a robotic fifty-year-old New York guy <laughs> reading you the empty page. <laughs> You know, the Daleks uh, take Manhattan. It's oh, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's like if they had stayed in New York for, like, a century and totally and, acclimated. And Daleks got like New, New York, York Daleks, yeah. That'd be hilarious. Forget about it. <laughs> so, Curzel 1000, then. Yes. <laughs> Ask for it by name. Sorry, what were you saying, Jim? Oh, I, I just hate to be that guy, but I think Siri's kind of hot. I'm I'm hesitant because I don't have anything with Siri on it. So because we don't have smartphones because we're luddites. (laughs) I have a flip phone that does not text. So I don't even have that. I use a landline. (laughs) Ah, 
you still color in your D20s with a crayon? Holy crap. <laughs> I do, actually. Yeah. <laughs> well, nothing wrong with that. If it works, totally it works. old school. <laughs> hey, we don't have rotary phones. You know, we, uh-huh. we have moved up a bit. So. Mm-hmm. He also says that at his work... He can put in a blurb on his messaging program, basically a personal, you know, thing about yourself. And he put in save or die. Um, then he says, after he did that, one of his coworkers asked me if I'm a financial planner. <laughs> <laughs> that would be a nice name for a company. Uh, save or die. Save or die. Well, an IRA management company. I- Good advice, I guess, uh, <laughs> just about any level. <laughs> so that was everything from Fred. Thanks, Fred. Thank you, Fred. <laughs> Sorry it took forever to get to some of those. Yeah. Please excuse our technical difficulties over the last 40 minutes of this podcast. We now return you to our normally scheduled audio quality. Our Next email is from Jeff Sargent, or emails, and he tells us that he found the show thanks to Mikey Mason, and says, now running a basic campaign. It's like, is Jeff now running a basic campaign, or is Mikey Mason now running a basic campaign? No, no, Jeff. That would be kind of awesome either way, but... Oh, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, he found the show thanks to Mikey Mason is now running a basic campaign. He wants to know if any one of us is going to Dragon Con. Which um, is over now. At, but. Yeah, so that tells you how old that particular email was. Um, <sighs> says, also love the show. Uh, says, it reminds him of his friends just sitting around talking about the games we played over the past 30 years. <laughs> I'll um, take that as a compliment. Mission accomplished. <laughs> And finally, he wants to know if we have read Quag Keep, and do we know if it inspired the D&D cartoon? Never heard of it. Ha ha ha. <laughs> uh, uh, I've read both books, Quag Keep and, was it Return to Quag Return Keep? Return to Quag Keep. Yeah. Um, I used to read a lot of Andre Norton when I was a teenager, so I was really excited when I found that book of hers that was about... A group of kids role playing. Yeah, I read Quag Keep before I read any of the. Um, oh, Guardians of the Flame is the one. Yes, I remember the Guardians. Reading. Yeah, the Guardians of the Joel Flame. Joel Rosenberg. Yeah. yeah, I remember Joel. I could not think what is his last name. Rosenberg. Yeah, yeah. but um, yeah, Quag Keep I read before Guardians of the Flame. And I was the other way. I read Guardians of the Flame first. Um, I. All I know about that personally, and if anyone knows more, please correct me, but uh, basically Gygax explained D&D and ran a brief game for Andre Norton before she wrote Quag Keep to kind of give her the idea. And since Gary was behind the D&D cartoon, well, I mean, I suppose the influence is there, other than just saying, well, Gary wrote the game or hmm. co-wrote the game with Dave Arneson. Uh-huh. Still, that might be a really interesting question to ask either Ernie or Luke if either of them would know if there was any, you know, back and forth with that. Ernie would be a good person to ask because he was old enough to go out to Hollywood with his dad. Mm-hmm. So he was okay. there. 
Yeah, we can ask him. Uh, <laughs> uh, as far as Dragon Con goes, um, it's really unlikely that Mike and I will ever wind up going. Um, I mean, I do have some family north of Atlanta, but Dragon Con is, it's at a really bad time of year for us to get time off to go do a con like that. Um, yeah, the last Atlanta con I went to was Asgard in 1980. <laughs> that was a while back. A bit, yeah. Pretty <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, my grandmother took me and my cousin to Atlanta ostensibly to look at some of the, you know, Confederate monuments and stuff. And we got there in the hotel and found out there was a con gaming con there. I had just gotten into gaming and she couldn't She couldn't tear you couldn't away tear from the hotel. we away from the hotel. I didn't go see any of the stuff. <laughs> I didn't go see Stone Mountain, didn't go see the any of the stuff because I was right there in that dealer room. Screw you, Greater Georgia. I'm at this hotel. <laughs> That's right. You missed the laser show at Stone Mountain. I can't believe you. Yep. <laughs> well, uh, I, killing. I don't go anywhere these days except that Joseph Goodman sends me, so send your email to him. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway. So anyway, yeah. I mean, I've heard a lot of good things about Dragon Con. All sorts of neat people show up as guests, but... Yeah, it's a bad time of the year for us to be able to get away and... It's a really big con now. I honestly don't know if I'd be able to enjoy myself at it. <laughs> <laughs> I've still got my con badges from oh. the late 70s, early 80s. Stop it. you got to scan those in, Liz, and post them. Oh, my gosh. Just, just for some retro. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, <laughs> Lynn from Miami writes us. Hey, Lynn. Uh, he says he had the pleasure of meeting Jim at Gen Con, fanboyed a bit, and shook hands about 37 times. Jar <laughs> your memory? <laughs> yes, yes, yes. And don't worry about it because <laughs> I was, you know, I was fanboying over other people like Luzachi. I got to have dinner with Luzachi a couple Gen Cons ago and I couldn't speak. <laughs> <laughs> Except I did, the, I did the golf clap when he told Ken St. Andre to shut the hell up. <laughs> <laughs> oh... I mean, we met him sort of at, at CoastCon, Coast and he was doing his magic show with the ventriloquist puppet, and I was hit on by the puppet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was funny. It's like, man, that puppet's a smooth talker. <laughs> <laughs> and he also wants to say that he might be at North Texas RPG Con, and we'll shake hands. Awesome. Cool. Hopefully not 37 times, but if so, it's okay. <laughs> Hopefully we'll see you there. Yeah. DM Ed writes and wants to thank us for introducing him to the random dungeon in Ruins of the Undercity. You're welcome. I really like that. I still like that setting. Um, wants to give a shout out to the Hackney Area Tabletop Enthusiasts. That spells hate, doesn't it? Heat. <laughs> oh, no, it is hate. <laughs> it's, like, it's like, huh. Go hate! Shout out to hate! <laughs> I'm sure that's a coincidence. Yeah. Yeah, let's go with that. <laughs> <laughs> so, 
Woo-hoo. I hate this game. <laughs> Hackney area tabletop enthusiasts. Go I didn't even notice that when I put, <laughs> when I assembled that. <laughs> okay. Anyway, so duly <laughs> shouted out. <laughs> um, he used the magic pools. The PCs got bonuses until the elf got three rot grubs. Jumped into the pool and got the one thing on the roll that would save him. <laughs> so I see that's a fun about random stuff. When you have th- synergies like that, you know, the elf is getting eaten alive by the rock grubs, about to die, leaps into a pool and happens to roll the one roll that heals all damage automatically. Yeah, well, I mean, at that that's point, what makes stories. You've got nothing to lose at that point, so you might as well. <laughs> I'm sure that that elf who was a hater <laughs> jumped in the water. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Is that, is that what is that what you were going for in Texas a few years ago, Liz? When you jumped in the pools, <laughs> the, the total heel. Well, whenever I'm playing at a convention, I take a lot more risks if I'm in a convention game than a normal game with friends. Because I figure, you know, this is a one-shot, so I might as well push all the buttons, pull all the levers, and, you know, just see what happens. You know, because I got nothing to lose. You know, this is a one-shot game. I'm going to see what happens if I do this. Um, If I'm playing in a regular campaign at home, I tend to be a lot more cautious. And, you know, I, I don't do all that kind of crazy stuff but yeah anything goes at a con game you know let's see what happens <laughs> oh well that makes sense in a home campaign you would just grab mead's character and chuck her in the pool i wouldn't have to grab her she'd probably jump in on her own <laughs> <laughs> miss i draw 13 cards from the deck of many things <laughs> rest like a hydra in the water <laughs> Yeah, like, yeah, you don't have to force me into doing anything. You know? yeah, she plays herself. Sometimes. She plays home games the way I play con games. Mike, <laughs> sometimes let's you, see what happens. Mike, sometimes you gotta wrestle the Hydra to get ahead. <laughs> uh, uh, but I'm changed. Oh, back to emails. Yeah, before yeah. everybody tunes out. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, Mead, Mead is something else. I, I hope she'll be able to return to our home game one of these days. All right. And finally, DM Ed wants to know, what preparation rituals to run a game do you use? Yeah, he had been talking about it in the email about how, you know, he was a little nervous getting ready for his game. So he wanted to make sure he had everything laid out, all the monsters, all the NPCs, da 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 da, da. Are there any particular rituals we do? To get ready for a game. Absolutely. Start smoking. <laughs> preferably cigars. So you go outside, you have the cigar, and by the time you're nicotined up and had some peace and quiet, you're ready to run. Start. <laughs> Save or die does not encourage the use of tobacco or any other <laughs> <laughs> alcohol or firearms. And monster energy drinks. Those are good, too. Yeah, yeah. Um, rituals. I I re- tend to reread if I'm running on a written adventure or even just my own written adventure I'll just read through the notes like the night before. Yeah. But that's it, you know. Other than that I don't really have any 
other than yeah the aforementioned monster drink and the mandatory whenever we get together for our home game the first hour has to be bsing about what we've all done in the the past week or two (laughs) that's inevitable yeah you know who Um, i'm in awe of mm. uh bill webb of frog god games i watched him at a game hole con and i mean he was drunk off his ass, and the only thing he was worried about before he ran the six-hour game of uh, Swords and Wizardry was where was his D20 and his D6, because that's all he needed. <laughs> <laughs> now that's cool. That That's seat of the pants DMing there. Uh, I do like to, if I know there's a special monster that I'm not very familiar with that's going to show up in an adventure possibly... I do like to have that, you know, those stats ready for me to glance at so I'm not spending, you know, three minutes thumbing through a book looking for it. Mm-hmm. Um, so things that I know I'm not going to know, you know, I'll try to have like maybe a little bookmark or something sticking out so I can go right to it if I need to. Um, yeah, reading over the notes or, you know, flipping through the adventure if it's a published module right beforehand make sure that i'm kind of good on everything um i know when i first came back to dming after a break one of the things i used to do is pre-roll up wandering encounters for the various terrains that way i don't have to roll hunt up on a chart and do that other stuff you just you've got it already right there and you can just go directly to monster um, but again, if you're running a home game, a home adventure, you know, modify it to fit your fit suit to taste. I mean, if I run a module, I tend to try to keep to that module, especially the classics, because, you know, it's like, if I'm running my party through Tejel Manor, I want to keep it, you know, as, as faithful, because that way they can compare notes with other people who have gone through Tejel Manor. Authentic. But if I, yeah, yeah. But if it's just, you know, an adventure on my own or I've just stolen a few sections, just go with it. Get your D20 and your D6 and go with it. (laughs) So, yeah. um, (laughs) Sounds like, for the most part, we just do a quick skim and, you know, maybe place some notes in easy reach and that sort of thing and hope for the best. (laughs) Exactly. Hope that helps. Yeah, because no matter what you do to prepare, there's always going to be something that happens. A player is going to throw you for a loop in some form or fashion. You know, just accept the fact that this is going to happen and try not to worry about it so much. It's like, it's going to happen. So we'll burn that bridge when we get to it. And conversely, don't over prepare because if you know exact, if you think you know exactly what your party's going to do, they're going to do something else. And if you over-prepare for the dungeon, they're going to go wander off into the wilderness for three game sessions. So you spend all that extra time for nothing, really. So, you know, familiarize yourself, but don't obsess over it either. So anyway. Anyway. Our next set is from DM Tim. Tim. Uh, Men call him Tim. He says... (laughs) He's a new listener, or he was when he wrote that first letter. <laughs> Hope you're still listening. Yeah. Well, there's two more letters, so he must and be And he listening. loves the podcast. 
Um, regarding episode 103, the save versus skill systems episode, he agrees that he prefers secondary skills or revert to ability check. Ah. On episode 108, the review of BFRPG um, says it handled skills as ability checks with the DC set based on PC level, so it scales with advancement. Hmm. That's certainly a way of handling it. So it keeps everything at a relative threat level. So cool. All righty. Next set of letters is from Edward Beasy, otherwise known as DM Ted. He mentions noting the tight focus of the D'Amigos in the post-80 episodes and enjoys it. Thank you. <laughs> this is uh, tight focus. <laughs> I mean, thank you. Laser sights! <laughs> um, does want to correct DM Glenn's claim about Ed Greenwood developing Forgotten Realms from top to bottom, bottom before coming to TSR says that is an old wives tale and he hopes Damn old that wives <laughs> and hopes that John Peterson will show up a few more times me too it's almost inevitable that's right we love John Peterson he's great <laughs> we will fanboy over him and shake his hand 37 times <laughs> then ask him to read truth about dungeons and dragons <laughs> does, 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 let me ask you guys a question. Does he qualify for that talk show cliche? Can we call him friend of the show, John friend Peterson, now? I, I think, oh, I think so. Yes. Friend of the show, John on, Peterson. Yeah. He's friend of the show. at least on three or four times. I yeah. Think he qualifies him for friend of the show status. Absolutely. But yeah, we're going to do our best to make sure that John comes on every so often. When he has time, we are always glad to have him. Yep. Regarding the Gazetteer coverage, he says, I very much enjoy your Gazetteer coverage. Find your opinions to be logically sound and based on fact more than emotion or nostalgia. Thank you. Take that. (laughs) DM Ted is our favorite listener now. (laughs) He's on my team. (laughs) He says he started with Holmes Basic. Well, there you go. <laughs> felt that the Gazetteer books were an odd fit. Um, adding exotic locales to D&D seemed incongruous to him. Notes the Beck Me Companion DM book, page four, where the D&D world is noted to be loosely medieval with feudal government. This is contradicted by most of the Gaz books. Hmm. I hadn't Notes, thought of that, but yeah, it is. Yeah. Notes a lot of retconning from the known world of the expert book to the gases, like ten times population of some cities. Yeah, instead of 2,000 people, it's 20,000 people. <laughs> ah! Maybe they just redid the math on what the society would be like with heel spells. <laughs> yeah, but everything's still two blocks down, one block over, Liz. Well, sure, because that's easy. Yep. <laughs> And says it is a dividing line for classic D&D. For pre-gas folks, it adds unneeded detail and changes the D&D fantasy world. For those that came to the game after the Gazetteers, they are invaluable detail and rules to play Mistara correctly. You can't make both happy. 
Right, and we've said that. True. We've said that. We're just not the target audience, but I, we're getting yeah. we're getting better about being even-handed as we review those. Yeah. So, thank you very much, DM Ted. <laughs> yes, thank you. <laughs> it's it's nice to hear that we're doing a good job every now and then. <laughs> yeah. And that someone thinks we are not just unilaterally hating on all the gazetteers. <laughs> yeah, Liz gets accused of hating a gazetteer, the, the Emirates, and she wasn't even there. <laughs> well, I don't want to give away behind-the-scenes info, but it's all Mike. Mike makes us get those bad reviews. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> no! My secret is out! <laughs> Emmy. All right. That's the reason I only ever give a 4.5 is the highest dragon, because I know if I give a 5, Mike says I'm out. Out of the show. <laughs> Oh, funny. We just got an email today in the box where somebody is asking Liz if Mike has ever given a five to anything, ever. <laughs> Quite frankly, I'm going to have to go back and look to find it out. <laughs> I've given a couple of things fives. I just don't recall right out there. It's just like 118 episodes. <laughs> this, this is Mike. I'll give your mom a five. <laughs> oh. <laughs> So, yes, one item probably has a five, and that's it. <laughs> but we'll find out. Anyway, next set is from Neo Moon. And he likes the return to the Gazetteers. <laughs> Yay! And wants to know, is Save or Die moving away from new OSR product back to the original works? Um, he's hoping to hear more from new OSR authors like Shane Ward, Tim Shorts, Vinger Satanis, that's almost certainly a stage name, and Joshua DeSanto. <laughs> or his parents were hippies in the 60s. Correct me if I'm wrong, Mike, but we kind of did a whole most of a year on the new OSR product and then sort of course corrected to get back to the original materials. So we'll yeah. inevitably zag back the other way, right? Yeah. Yeah. I think our consensus has been to try to split relatively evenly. Yeah, because there's always people who want to hear each. Mm -hmm. I know when we were doing a lot of new product, we were getting some emails from people who were saying, you know, hey, I want to hear your thoughts on the old stuff again when are you finishing and, the x series yeah you know, <laughs> so i mean obviously we do have an audience for both new and old stuff so we do try to kind of jump back and forth between the two every so often so fear not we, we will go back to reviewing new product of course there's so much new stuff coming out now i mean gosh liz remember when osr you were we were like lucky to get one or two items a year yeah so it's there's been a, a real boom in osr product which is totally awesome <laughs> it means we'll never lack for us anything to talk about on the show so that's for sure that sounded good liz it's like you already had one of those voice lessons you're like fear not fear not <laughs> <laughs> Have no fear. DM Liz is here. Do, do, do. So, <laughs> Anthony Immel. Tony, Who's that? I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, Tony. <laughs> Love you, Tony. <laughs> well, um, wait, I'm left out. Who is Anthony Immel? Um, he's a friend of ours from the Tyler, Texas area. Oh, sweet. And, um, um, he was in, yeah, been in medieval reenactment 
involvement with us and since the late 80s gaming and everything so anyway tony wrote us says he's back to listening to the episodes that he missed due to work through the 70s and 80s cool um regarding setting the alignment for a campaign he lets the players choose he does set an alignment but allows one step away a la temple of elemental evil pc game i.e. a chaotic good campaign, he'll allow lawful good or neutral good, but he won't allow lawful evil. So that's kind of what he means by one step away. Okay. Uh, now that's a way of doing it if you're doing nine alignment. <laughs> I guess it would work for five too, wouldn't it? Uh, well, sure, it would work for five. <laughs> but, Although maybe only know. one step. Yeah, I mean, I don't like evil campaigns so just me i would never run a campaign where i would allow players to play evil people because i personally don't want to have to fool with it as a dm and maybe that's unfair but that's just how i roll (laughs) well it's it just opens up to the party spends more time trying to kill each other than to do anything constructive and if that's the type of game they want to play well there's always vampire and the novel that you have and i can't remember the author's name right now but villains by necessity eve forward yeah that is an awesome concept for an adventure but i think that it would be very difficult unless you had a really good group of players to be able to actually play that out. With a group a, of evil people trying to save the world. Right. Yeah. Well, yeah. there's a difference between evil and anti-hero. Yeah, but... Uh, yeah, but some of those characters were evil. <laughs> <laughs> like the, the shark teeth chick that was obviously supposed to be drow. Yeah. <laughs> was rating demi-humans on how they tasted. <laughs> Raised. <laughs> yeah. A nice white wine sauce, you know. And father so, beans, right? Yeah. <laughs> but, um, you know, so that is a cool concept to read about. I think it would be very difficult to actually have it play out well in a game session. Maybe not impossible, but I think it would be hard. And, again, that's just not something that I would personally want to have to, you know, deal with hurting cats and doing a quote-unquote evil campaign without the players all acting like a bunch of jerks to each other. So, <laughs> but that's just my opinion. Your mileage may vary. <laughs> but yeah, that's certainly a way of doing it, the mm-hmm. step system, if you're going to you know, try to put some kind of rain on the party alignment. Yeah. So... It's still allowed let me, let me check the logic on this. If I ran a neutral campaign and was playing in a three alignment system, I'm good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Much. yeah. Okay. Well, I only allow neutrals, lawfuls, or chaotics. Then I can go along with this. Awesome. Okay. <laughs> and finally says he looks forward to seeing Mike and Liz at Rose City Comic Con 2015. <laughs> did he? And he did. Yes, he did. He was there with his wife. Uh, Beth and uh, at least one of his daughters. Mm-hmm. 
I keep forgetting there's a reason we have to call the email shows the hot tub time machine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's yeah, like I said, six months or yeah. at least three at this point. <laughs> Alrighty, thanks for writing, Tony. Yeah, finally got to your stuff. <laughs> Next up is William Paley, and he oh, writes oh. regarding the Bob Bledsaw Jr. interview. Um, he asks us to consider adding Chuck and Shell to the list of people that we have on our website in memoriam as he passed away recently. Um, says the author also wrote for Judges Guild in the past and was part of the JG stable. Cool. Yeah, and Bob talked about him too. Mm. Yeah. Thanks for writing in, Will. Michael Thomas. Oh, that guy. <laughs> I mean, also, hey, Mike. <laughs> he's so vile. Yeah. Um, also loved the Bob Bledsaw interview and the JG reminiscences. Um, thought it was interesting about the early RPG industry and fanzine slash copyright. Lots of misunderstandings. Judges Guild reminded him of pre-100 White Dwarf. Yes! Agreed. Yes! Agreed. Mm-hmm. Before War Hamster. <laughs> yeah. Says yeah. both covered various games with style and imagination. Um, and he ran more of those than any, quote, big company, quote, unquote, modules. And glad to hear about Judges Guild considering print on demand. He'll buy the RuneQuest stuff, even though he hates ducks. Hates Arr. ducks? What? Who hates a duck? <laughs> Wog. I'd rather have ducks than gnomes. That's a so bold there. statement. That's a bold is. statement, sir. Brave choice, yes. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Man, I can't believe anybody hate ducks. <laughs> yes, they are delicious. <laughs> and so... <laughs> well, Thanks, Bob Traveler. Yes, despite the fact that you hate ducks, thank you for writing in. <laughs> we'll get to your really big email next time. Yes, um, because he did write us a reply to the Blue Holm episode that we did, and we don't want to have to condense that down to just a few bylines. So we're going to save that for the next episode and get into that in a little more depth. You say so. reply, I say novella. But. Yeah. <laughs> so we didn't forget that one. All right, on to Herb Noel. Herb. Noted that the coverage of Retro Clones is over? No. Not exactly over. Just <laughs> in <down> hiatus. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, I haven't been on the show since episode one. We haven't run through them all because people are writing more all the time. Oh, oh, yeah. Yeah, and we've already had someone say, hey, you should do the Black Challenger set. <laughs> well, not, that's, not not a, that's not a retro clone. Yeah, yeah. sorry. <laughs> I, I had a... Or no one has a retro clone of it yet. <laughs> I, I had a moment there. I'm not sure what kind of a moment <laughs> it was, but I had one. This is a lot of emails. So. Yeah. <laughs> um, says, consider JMS's Blood and Treasure. No, not that JMS. <laughs> J. Michael Straczynski! But John Matthew Stater. <laughs> anyway, he we'll also... call him JM. <laughs> um, gives a website for... 
matt-landofnod.blogspot.com. And um, apparently Blood and Treasure is spoken about on that blog. Oh, it rings a bell now. Um, so it's combo of old school D&D with 3E and has released variant versions emphasizing basic play. Yeah, bloody basic, I think it's called. Hmm. Well, you know, if the author wants to send us a copy, you know, PDF, that will be willing to cover it, I guess. Um, he says he hopes to make it to North Texas RPG Con this year and say hi. That would be cool. So thank you, Herb, and hopefully if we can get a PDF version of Blood and Treasure, we will certainly look it over and see if we can fit that in there. <clears throat> ah, sorry about that. I had a duck in my throat. <laughs> 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 Abel Enzo writes and wants to thank us for the Iron Realm shout-out on episode 115. You're welcome. And, Iron Realm! And he was glad that we enjoyed the advanced special effects Sound of that 20. <laughs> I still think there should be a little prices right. <laughs> Whenever for you roll one. one. Yeah. 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 <laughs> anyone has rolled a one. Oh no there's been ones there he has just been ones? yeah he just doesn't have a sound effect for it <laughs> yeah let's get ready to fumble <laughs> that's nice <laughs> and and defines a lot of the games that I'm in <laughs> so thank you Abelins though DM Kojo is up next oh, Kojo. Finally. he wanted to plug an OSR product. CC1 Creature Compendium by Richard LeBlanc of New Big Dragon Games. 200 plus monsters with great art. It has stats for OD&D, Basic Expert, and First Edition. Holy cow. And that you can find a PDF on DriveThruRPG or pay or print on demand on Lulu. Cool. We'll uh, put that uh, link in the show notes. Yeah. And he also says that we should try to invite Richard on the show to talk about his stuff. Well, oh. thank, thank you, DM Kojo. We'll see what we can do. <laughs> I like that there are different stats for various versions of the games. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's almost like to a level that would spoil you because we're all used to just doing it in our heads on the fly. Mm-hmm. Because after all, these are three completely different games, so... Taco. Taco. <laughs> I haven't oh. tacoed in a while. Can I have time for a mini rant? Sure. Uh, Goodman Games has started doing this thing called the Goodman Gazette that goes out with the Kickstarter things, and uh, I wrote a monster for it called the Cascoid. Minor demon. <laughs> and uh, I had already written it up for first edition AD&D, so I converted it to DCC, and then Joseph came back and said, can you give us a conversion to 5e, because the their fifth edition adventures are coming out too. And I'm like, sure, no problem. How hard could it be? I've got the books. Oh my god. <laughs> What a pain in the ass. <laughs> Better not do uh, that again. Well, <laughs> at least now you know if you make up any more monsters, you're probably going to have to do 5e stats along with the other <laughs> stuff. Well, I mean, the so, 5e so, stat block was like the size of the whole written description of the monster. Would you say they're about as bad as, you know, we used to always complain about 3e stat blocks when 3rd edition first came out. I don't think they're as bad as 3E. What do you think, Joe? 
I'm sure once you get the hang of it, it's fine. It was just a pain in my ass. Yeah. <laughs> There's no step line. <laughs> okay, those end of the rant. <laughs> and now we have Greg McKenzie. Greg. Um, Greg sent us several letters, which Eronius we have compiled Grog. here. <laughs> and says he enjoyed the two-part Bob Bloodsaw Jr. interview. So everyone's really liked the interview, and Bob was great to have on. Yeah. So That was good stuff he shared because he was there for it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, he says he gamed in high school and enjoyed the Judges Guild Journal and the Booty List and loved Teagle Manor. Um, Greg has a question to Bob which I'm not sure if we'll be able to answer that, but we'll try to pass it along to him. said, or, had there been any dungeons for the I and J Wilderlands maps? That's a good question. Yeah. I'm sure, I'm sure Bob's listening, so Bob, just email us and let us know the answer. That's right. And we'll get to it before four, four to six months. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we promise. We promise. Um, he suggests a Teagle reissue with overlay maps of the rat tunnels to the rest of the manor. Neat parallels. Yeah, he said he had did that. And once you put the, the rat tunnels overlay, you can see where the various points of the rat tunnels emerge compared to the overall Tejil map gives you a really new perspective. Hmm. Nobody ever wants to go in the rat tunnels, though. It's because they're full of rats. <laughs> <laughs> and they're, like, what, two and a half, three feet tall? <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> I mean, I get bitten by a giant rat. I'm almost certainly going to die every time anyway. You know, I'm going to go down into tunnels full of the things? I don't think so. <laughs> oh, come on. It's not like giant centipedes. What if we They're just them? like giant centipedes. <laughs> what if we change them to duck tunnels? Ooh. Ducks have a poison bite that would kill me? You don't know what you're going to tunnel. (laughs) This foul poison that they Uh, admit. No? Too soon? soon? Okay. Anyway. Yeah. (laughs) Have you ever ever fed a bunch of ducks? Like by Uh, the lake or something? No. I guarantee there'll be agility checks in those tunnels. (laughs) D- ducks get pushy. <laughs> Not as pushy as chickens, I'll bet. Because well, chickens is stupid. What about seagulls? I mean, I don't know ste- seagulls. I mean, they, they will dive bomb you once they know <laughs> you have food. Anyway. <laughs> like dire ducks. But we digress. Yes, yes. we digress as usual. Um, regarding the Bree Yark project on the borderlands. More data has been added, especially the hexographer maps. Just not by Mike. Just not, Just not by, by Mike. Mike. Nothing I'm... has been done by Mike. <laughs> I'm going to get something in there before I die. <laughs> Project's over now, Mike. You can't do it. <laughs> <laughs> That'll be it. Okay, I finally got something. Project's over, Mike. <laughs> Project's oh. been over for six months, Mike. <laughs> Six months, you're an optimist. It's been over six years, Mike. Where have you been? Still on your your, your rotary phone. (laughs) And re Liz's comments on the Ring of Protection from Blueholm. He considers the AC issue a big part of the problem in D&D. 
always attack the armor, not the opponent. And there is an article on the topic, oddly yeah. enough, on Briarch.org. <laughs> and he posted, when he emailed us that, he also posted it on the OD&D Guild, and people went ballistic. I was going to say, isn't that uh, conversation still going on? It's recently died off. Okay. But yeah, I, for like I, a month, it was just boom, 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 and statistics and arguments and intentions and it's like wow i so don't want to get into this <laughs> <laughs> but yes you you can read the article which sparked so much controversy at briarch.org and it is called role-playing heresies armor class for magic users we'll have the link in the show notes i read have that article fun. i read that <laughs> i read that article it was crunchy you think you think nope. the armor class rules are crunchy that article was crunchy crunchy and a whole bunch of magic users running around with AC2. <laughs> <laughs> so, thank you, Greg. And next up, DM Sirnamod. I probably totally butchered the pronunciation of that, but... <laughs> <laughs> he says he loves the show. He started at episode 110, but has been going back to listen from ep episode 1. Wow. My apologies. <laughs> He's played 1E, but never discriminated adventures. You know, so basically he'd use first edition, basic expert, etc. You know, just yeah. whatever. <laughs> like I said, back in the day, we didn't really... Yeah. An adventure was an adventure. Yeah. I'm not sure we even knew the difference. We just grabbed whichever module we saw at the store that we liked and ran it. I know. Yeah. I, I sure didn't. You know, I picked up some basic modules and I picked up, you know, 1E AD&D modules so I grabbed them all, and yeah. I haven't met a single old schooler who hasn't, at one time or another, run Keep on the Borderlands with AD and D. Yeah, I mean, you just did. I mean, <laughs> so yeah, you are not alone, sir. <laughs> Says he keeps B one notes for each party that loots it, gets driven out, comes back as a new group, etc. And basically, it's a living dungeon. Um, and wants to know if any of us have done that. Well, we played in Mike's B1 every year at North Texas Con, or most of us do, so hmm. yeah. No, I've, I've never, well, I won't say never, I did use a wizard's tower that I've tried to lure some of Liz's characters back to. But generally, most of my parties, whenever they finish clearing or, or going as far in a dungeon as they, they want, they leave. They don't want to go back. So I never really have the have the chance to give a living. Okay, well, what's moved in now, you know, or that sort of thing. So, like in the entirety of you running games, nobody's ever done the old. Okay, we cleaned out the dungeon. This is our new HQ. No, they always want to keep moving. They they don't they won't want to get tied down until they're ready to you know do the whole stronghold thing. We did that so much. I just wrote an adventure that allows for it. Yeah. No, I I think that would have been cool, but you know, heck, half the time people didn't even want to do the stronghold. They just wanted to keep being murder hobos at twentieth level. <laughs> well, and well, well, now I can really murder. <laughs> to be fair, I think it's a great concept. I it just, is a great concept, but I know the few times that you know you and I have wound up doing that, say in Chase's game. You do tend to get bogged down in a lot more of 
well, record keeping. You know, papers and paychecks. Yes, it uh. becomes papers and paychecks. You know, you're having to worry about how is your stronghold. You know, do you have enough supplies? You know, you know, are you keeping? You know, everything safe. You know, any outlying villages that start to spring up around it, you have to keep them safe. You know, does everyone have enough grain? And I'd just well, like to point out point out when our characters were running a town full of halflings. Chase was using the five Shires Gazetteer for it, so there. <laughs> so, you know, for some people and, you know, me, <laughs> it's like I'm, I'm not all that interested in, I guess, becoming more administrative in the, the role of the game. Um, so I guess that's p- part of the reason why I've never been that really interested in playing higher name-level characters, because the idea of keeping a stronghold, keeping a tower, taking on apprentices, etc., just seems kind of pedestrian, mm-hmm. you know? I, I prefer being lower levels so that you're doing the wandering, and it's, it's just more exciting to me. You want to ride on the Heart of Gold, not play the Vogons. Yeah. <laughs> a reference to Hitchhiker's Guide, even better than a Doctor Who reference. <laughs> but no need to put money in the jar for it. Yep. So, unfortunately, we haven't. But great idea. Keep going with it. Mm-hmm. And Wayne Rossi writes that he enjoyed episode 117's review of Blue Home. Thank you. Um. Basically wags his finger at us because nobody picked up on the dexterity spell in Blue Home. Um, Apparently in Holmes, the strength spell does really nothing since PCs don't get bonuses for high attributes in Holmes. The dexterity spell in Blue Home allows a change in initiative order, so you actually get some benefit out of that. (laughs) Now you see, that was a spell that I just hand waved as the dm and said well you know with a strength spell you can knock indoors or you know do feats of strength there were no rules for it true but i just you know rolled it off the cuff when i was running holmes he's dead dog right though i missed that completely (laughs) oh yeah consider us duly wagged (laughs) we have been chastised yep and Joshua DeSanto from Genius Loci Games checks Gosh. in with us, says he has moved from Pennsylvania to Texas. Another one. I'm, I'm not sure why Texas draws people from Pennsylvania, Pennsylvania. but we're glad to have you. It's got to be you guys because nobody's moving to Cincinnati. There's <laughs> yeah. too much snow there. And if you live in Pennsylvania already, you've got snow. <laughs> Um, he says he will be at the 2016 North Texas RPG Con and Sweet. hopes he can stop by and say hi. Of course you can. And wants to know if there is any chance that the Capcom Mistara games will ever be mentioned during one of our Gazetteer episodes. Over to you two. Uh, only if we make this a Gazetteer episode, because you just mentioned it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> this is now an honorary Gazetteer episode. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I know he likes them, but, you know, I 
I can't play them. So it's I never played them before the car accident, and certainly not afterwards. So mm-hmm. it would have to be you two guys if anyone was going to discuss it. It's so, really weird that he would mention that. I just fired up a, a emulator on my Mac that's got and tried to put some of those old D and D arcade games into it and couldn't get one to work. But huh? Huh. Mm-hmm. There, he tried. Yeah, I'm not sure I've ever played them. I've well, you did... did play that pinball. Was it the pinball game you played it? Yeah, the... but I mean, as the... far as the you know stuff like Pool of Radiance and the other D and D adventures yeah. for the computer. Of course, that I was really SSI. Never... Yeah, but I never really played any of those. Oh yeah. boy, did I had a Commodore 64 and we beat the crap out of all of those. Yeah, what well, a pain I, I... in the butt because the security to for the game was a little uh, like a proportion scale. Liz, do you go back to those? little wheel yeah. within a wheel within a wheel and to lo- and to get the game to work you've got to it would spit you a random code and you'd have to sit there with a little wheel every time you played logged into play yeah yeah causing certain dubious types to have to photocopy both parts of the wheel and then build one to oh. use for a copy yeah certain you know one step from neutral type characters would do that it's like well i had a TRS-80. And you then still have a TRS-80. I, technically, I still have it. It's in a box. But, you know, that was my first, quote-unquote, computer. And then I didn't get any other until many years later. And I bought a used PC from a friend's family. That was a 286, and, wasn't it? Yeah, it was a 286 and ran on DOS. This was pre-Windows. Um, so in between those two, I did not own my own computer. I used computers at school, but I didn't have my own, you know, I didn't have a Commodore. I didn't have an Apple. I didn't have any of those. So I really didn't have any games to play myself. Um, we had an Atari 2600 console that we could hook up to the tv and i had the adventure game for that and um oh what was that game that had like the the four elements and there was supposed quest earth quest yes i had the first game of earth quest when it came out for the atari and that was basically my computer fantasy games (laughs) those two that was it I read a lot about a lot of fantasy games in, say, Dragon Magazine and other stuff. Never had them myself, so. But just for clarity, though, uh, Josh was talking about an arcade game. Okay. Right, yeah, you know, the one Caverns of Doom that, or one Caverns of Doom, what was it called? You know, because Bad Mike and Doug had them there. There was the paint, there was the pinball game, and then there was the. Yes, yes. Side view adventure game next to it i can't forget the name but anyway oh, does this count as a mention i think so we're talking about him a lot that's a mention so okay um, your wish is- welcome josh jumpy <laughs> says your wish has been granted <laughs> and if not you can complain to us at maybe not Texas in the RPG way you wanted, but there it is <laughs> yep all right so so kevin long writes Says, Jim, we miss you on the other podcast. Oh. And wondering where or when we could get all the Grimtooth volumes. 
Well, thank you for that, Kevin. Um, you can catch me on a new podcast that I haven't mentioned before. It's called Designers. You have a new podcast? Yes. <laughs> uh, called Designers and Discourses, and you can find it at designersanddiscourses.com. And it's just one-on-one -on -one interviews with game creators. Um, I'm You probably wrote this eight months ago, and I'm still... I've already heard the show. But, <laughs> but just in so, case, yeah. And uh, I'll eventually be back on Spellburn. They'll have me on as a guest or something like that. We're all still friends and everything's still cool. And um, I'll even throw in a mention for Sanctum Sanctorum, which is another podcast that I have friends that are in that covers the Appendix N literature and how it relates to specific adventures and generates a lot of old school, you know, classic content that goes with each podcast episode. So please enjoy those. Um, the Grimtooth... Uh, Traps collection. Uh, Joseph just posted something on uh, the Kickstarter page for it uh, this weekend showing the printer's mock-ups, which are full, completely printed mock-ups, and the books themselves are on the proverbial slow boat from China coming across the ocean now. So those are going to pop up for sale here, you know, within a month or so. Cool. But yeah, uh, Designers and Discourses has some really good interviews with uh, Jim Ward, James Fraggy, as well as some of the or James Raggy the Fourth, <laughs> along with uh, some of the Goodman Games folks too. Uh, Mike so, Curtis, Mike Tim, Curtis, Tim Cask, Harley yeah. Stroh, yeah. So good stuff. Oh, thanks, if man. You, if you huh? haven't caught them, you should. Right now. Well, wait till we're done. <laughs> <laughs> no, listen to the rest of the emails first, then go. <laughs> we're almost done. Honestly. No, really. So anyway. So thank you very much for your kind words, Kevin. Yeah. And Aaron Smale is next. He thanks us for reading his email in episode 116. And we apologize <laughs> for cutting this one up. Yeah. So, so like in three episodes, we get a thank you for reading this one? Yeah. <laughs> well, he may not thank us for this one. Yeah. <laughs> um, says he felt he did a poor job of explaining his point on the gazetteers. Prior to the Gazetteers, the TSR worlds, Greyhawk and Forgotten Realms, were low fidelity, with small details so DMs could expand. Gazetteer in 1987 and the reissue of Greyhawk and Forgotten Realms in 1988+, show that the pattern is reversed to high fidelity. And he says, the imaginative DM who grew up on a diet of limitless expansion, was now confronted with canonical material in every corner of TSR's published settings. He suggests that the Gazetteer was the first test of this reversal, and it went to the less popular line, Beckme, first. Says if that supposition has any truth, it perhaps demonstrates the changing nature of how TSR supports the creative DM who liked a particular setting, but who also lacked the time to invest in its continued independent development. Uh, prior opinions seem to be based on our dislike of published settings and says that the Gazetteer is valuable to the independent DM who lacks the time to create. Um, he goes on to say, with the added benefit of very loose coupling with Mistara, so incorporating these bits into a DM's own campaign is exceptionally easy. He suggests that future Gazetteer coverage should note a section to talk about stuff to import from the Gazes to another campaign. Is, is it wrong that I heard that 
whole email in Jack Black's voice from the movie, High Fidelity? <laughs> I don't know that it's wrong, but... There it is. Well, thanks, Aaron. Um, I think we've, made, particularly the past couple of ones, I thought we were being very clear about noting things that could be imported. I mean, I know, especially with Emirates of Alarum, I talked about several things that I, I thought were ready-made to steal for somebody's home campaign. I do think he's right about the low and high fidelity parts, though, just like the earlier email. You know, it's a matter of when you started playing as to what TSR was giving you. You know, I don't, you know, if, if you like really crunchy, detailed campaign worlds, that's great. But I just point out that also makes it a much more lucrative cash stream for TSR to put out more books and more details. So obviously they liked it. Well, you only get so many people buying the rule books. And once you have them, you don't have to buy them again unless you like drop them in a pool or something. <laughs> or totally change the system. Yeah. 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 Whereas campaign world stuff, you could sell to DMs and players alike, especially if you're providing new different rules for creating characters or new classes or such. I don't so, know. No. I don't know, man. I mean, I'm I'm open to doing a better job. Absolutely. Um, I just can't think of a way to be any more even-handed in the coverage. I can't yeah. make myself like something or say I want to use something that I don't like or don't want to use. Yeah, and I I appreciate the email, but I I think we were already have. I thought we've done pretty good at saying maybe not so much with Caramigos. Frankly, I can't remember that far back, but. I thought with both Emirates and Principalities, we were good at pointing out things that people could import or that, yeah, we may have said it, you know, I would or wouldn't import or Jim would or wouldn't import, but really that, that's our only frame of reference. There's stuff that could be imported unless you don't like using that sort of thing in your game. You know, it's very subjective, but we'll try. <laughs> All righty. Maybe, maybe less kidding around because I say things all the time just to be funny and uh, if you took it seriously you're like well jim hates the gazetteers well i don't hate <laughs> anything you know i don't even hate dick cheney you know <laughs> i don't have time and energy for that speaking <laughs> of ducks all righty and finally we saved the best for last doc mind wipe <laughs> <laughs> he says he misses gaming with us an angry monks game i wish i could say the same thing <laughs> and see that, that that was one of the remarks i'm just kidding i'm kidding <laughs> he says he has joined dm vince's ap mincer game and he plays a dwarf based on cat from red dwarf oh excellent <laughs> which is pretty cool <laughs> so, <laughs> He's having basic fun without you guys. So, neener, neener. <laughs> so now all I can see is this dwarf going through the dungeon going, this is mine, this is mine, this is mine. <laughs> Except, for, Except that. for that. I don't want that. <laughs> oh, this is mine. <laughs> well, glad you're having a great time, Doc Mindwipe. <laughs> and we we accept the neener, neener, and back at you. I miss Hopefully, that game, too. Yeah, yeah, it was fun. Um, hopefully this AP podcast will be put out, you know, sometime relatively soon. Yeah. So, cool, cool. Well, 
we had to butcher the heck out of an awful lot of emails, but for the most part, we have managed to make our way up to the present. Yay! Yay! And if you don't think we we addressed your emails correctly, write us! Write us again! (laughs) (laughs) Oh, gosh. Lord have mercy. (laughs) And where would they write us, Jim? Oh, now I really get to break in the new podcasting microphone. You may write us at the Save or Die podcast at Save or Die at gmail.com. Save or Die podcast. Uh, It's the new new Mike's fault. You're you're still trying to break it in. Save or Die podcast at gmail.com. Oh, Lord. (laughs) Or voicemail 940-536-3763. And the first dusty trail of the new year. Wandering down that trail toward 2016. And how are you going down the road, Liz? I'm not, because I'm struggling to get out from under this pile of emails. (laughs) Here, let me get a rake. (laughs) How about you, Jim? Uh, Well, I'm not worried about liches, but i got 99 other writing assignments to tend to. There you go. I'm trying to get a hitch a ride, but nobody's picking me up because I've got this big bloody machete in my hand from when I butchered all the emails. I don't know what the problem is. Mm. So, another show over, and we'll see you guys at 119. Hopefully, we will be having Steve Marsh on the show soon. Keep it tuned for details. Ooh. Yeah. So, take care, everyone, and good night. Good night. See ya. Pre-arc. And we're out. Woohoo. Ow! Saber Die Podcast is a production of Wild Games Productions in association with D20Radio.com. The Saber Die theme music is provided by the band Mississippi Bones. You can find them at MississippiBones.bandcamp.com. This episode's recording snafus were brought to you by DM Jim and the Dyslexic Interface Enthusiasts, not associated with the Hackney Area Tabletop Enthusiasts. Backup sound files for this episode were provided courtesy of DM Liz's Pentium 2 DOS system computer. Not really, but it did kind of sound like it. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time on Save or Die. Well, I don't want to sound skeevy. <laughs> well, oh, yeah, I figured the conversation along faster after he started down that path. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, where is this going? You know, I'm doing a role-playing game because I want to have naked women model for me, or... Oh, well. It's an old art school trick. I used to use it, but I'm too old for it now. (laughs) (laughs) 